Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Shabbat Shalom! Day after Yom Kippur. I feel like there should be a, a something that you say other than Shabbat Shalom the day after Yom Kippur, like Boker Tov <laughs> or... A really? very merry, a very merry on birthday to you. Okay. And on that note, Rabbi Shapiro, over to you. Two things before we okay. get started. Oh, One, no. Rabbi Schatz and I are trying to think of a duet to sing at Yom Kippur next year. So if anyone has any thoughts on what a good, it could be liturgy, it could be like a pop song, whatever it is, we're looking for a suggestion. So everyone who's listening to this podcast should email Rabbi Schatz your suggestions for what that duet might be. It's going to be awesome. It'll be really the pinnacle of everyone's spiritual experience on Yom Kippur. So we're excited about that. Right, Rabbi Schatz? Oh, yeah. I'm yeah, excited for the emails. Yeah. What? I'm excited for the emails. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that's going to be a fan favorite, but we'll see. Um, the other thing is, I mean, for, for everyone currently on the Zoom call, and also for people who might be listening, um, Next week is our last class, and we're going to have it in person. So actually, this, our penultimate class, got to use the word penultimate, so it's a good day, is the last class that is over Zoom only. How about yeah. that? And so next week, 11 o'clock on the roof of the school building, and we might get to have a Zoom bot which I'm very excited about, mostly because it means I get to say Zumbot. Yeah, that is actually the only reason that you're excited about it. I mean, it'll also be nice to be able to have it in person. And to just so that people understand, a Zumbot is just a computer with a screen. So it's it's what I've been using for 18 months in the sanctuary, but Rabbi Shapiro is very excited about it because the word Zumbot is a fun one. So Correct. Yeah. Maybe they'll have uh, Zumbot 2.0 by next week, and they'll have like... Um, yeah. Great. Um, this week's Parsha is <clears throat> is Ha'azinu. Rabbi Shatz. Yeah. Zumba. And we are going to talk about this Parsha, which uh, next week's Parsha, actually, Rabbi Shabir and I were discussing how excited we are to talk about Vizoda Bracha because no one talks about it. Um, <clears throat> because often it's kind of taken over by whatever is being read for Sukkot. So um, Ha'azinu is typical. When when you think about the last Parsha of the Torah, people sometimes just forget that Vezodah Bracha even exists because it very often is not something that is being read publicly um, in in Shul. And so we read a little, a little piece of it before we read Breshit on Simchat Torah, but it typically doesn't have a drash associated with it. It's it's not usually something that we speak so much about. And so Rabbi Shapiro and I are going to get to uh, teach on it next week, which is really exciting. So this is Ha'azinu, the penultimate um, uh, Parsha for our Torah. And uh, I will let Rabbi Shapiro start us off in reading the verses. One of the things that you'll notice is that it actually looks like poetry. Um, so though we talk about it being very poetic and uh, kind of syntactically understood as poetry. Um, you also will see that it looks 
like poetry. It's written out in kind of shorter sentences and um, the columns look look shorter, which you might uh, you might see in in more traditional poetry. So just want to point those two things out. We are using a lot of of pretty fancy words for the day after Yom Kippur. So far, we've used penultimate and syntactically. So let's, well, it's pretty good. I'm glad that those sound like exciting and fancy. <laughs> I like penultimate. Pen, penultimate is <clears throat> Yeah, okay. Great. No? I think. Yeah. I think it's exciting. When you work with Rabbi Klickfeld as your senior rabbi, those are not really fancy words. So I'm glad to be given the fancy word badge. That's uh, the word that he really, poly, pluripotent. Is a is a is a good Rabbi Clickfeld word. Okay. Right. I think we can start. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good Clickfeld word. Okay. Yeah. What are we doing? Hazinu. Okay. Hazinu. Thanks for the reminder. Okay. Here we are. We're in Parshat Hazinu. So we've been hearing Moshe's. (laughs) He's been saying goodbye for a while, and now he's he's saying goodbye uh, for 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 realsies. I don't know how much like narrative context to really give on this other than just to say he's still saying goodbye and, and now it's poetry. And and there aren't sort of to um, augment Rabbi Schatz's point, there aren't that many um, places in the Torah that are written out differently. Like Shirat Hayam, when we're leaving Egypt, right? That's written out a little bit differently here here too, right? That it's it's more poetic than narrative or a litany of things that you're supposed to bring forward or you know a law code like this is actually this is actually poetry um i i don't know like i said i don't know that like going through verse by verse gives us all that much other than to say like this is moshe's farewell speech opens up like give iro heavens let me speak let the earth hear these words i utter um May, may my speech come down as the rain, for I'm praising God. Um, in verse 4, you see a phrase that, that you might see um, pop up a few times, Hatsur Tamim Pe'olo, that God is referred to as a rock whose deeds are um, Tamim, translated here as perfect, which is, which is good enough. Um, but not really what it means. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with it. We're not diving into verse four. We can do four, verse four next year in our unparsha class. Um, the other that, time that we've received many emails when we discussed on our podcast what we we're going to be doing about next year. We should only accept emails in the future if they're also giving suggestions for what we can sing together in Yom Kippur. <laughs> okay. Um, God is faithful and never false. There are right? These, there has been a crooked, perverse generation that has played him false. Is that really, right? Is, is he not the father who created you, fashioned you, and made you endure? So a little more, a little more scolding for the road from Moshe. Um, remember the days of old, like remember how God has taken care of you. Um, remember um, sort of going all the way back. God gave nations their homes, fixed boundaries of people, um, for God's portion is his people, Jacob, his own allotment. So sort of going going back, reminding people mm-hmm. of how um, God has given us so much, even though we haven't always paid attention, that God is is always there for us and has always been there for us. Um, so we're in chapter 22 of Dvarim, and we're going to be diving into, flying right into, 
as it were. See what I did there, Rabbi Schatz? I do. Popping right into uh, verses 10 and 11. God found him in a, a, a land of wilderness. Uvatohu Yalel Yishman, in an empty howling waste. Yesovevenhu Yevo Nenehu, God encircled him and watched over him. Yitrenehu Ke Ishon Eno, guarded him as the pupil of his eye. Kenesher Yair Kino, like an eagle who rouses his offspring, his nestlings. Al Gozalav Yirachef, Gliding down to his young, Yifros Knafav Yikachehu, so he spread his wings and took him up, Isaehu al Evrato, bore him along on his on his pinions. Sounds so an interesting word, but car- carried him along. Uh, those are the verses. They are poetic. The translation, even more so than usual, has Lots of potential different directions it could go since it's, it's not even our usual narrative or uh, legal writing, but poetry. But I'll sort of leave, leave that there because a lot of what I want to say sort of plays with some of the meanings of the words and explores the imagery. So I'll just kind of offer those verses up and turn it over for Kushiot before we move into the next portion of what we're doing. Great. Okay. Any Kushiot from our from our audience, from our live audience. And if you have no kushiyot, that's also okay. We can just start talking. It's, yeah, Denise, go ahead. So it seems like, um, although I might have spaced out or missed the beginning of it, um, since he found him in a desert region, blah, blah, and guided him, watched him, um, it, like over a sing- it's like over a single being. But, like, if it's the whole Jewish people, then that's more than a single being. Interesting. Great. That, it's, Great. that, that verb is written in the singular rather than in the plural. Right? Yes? You read yeah, but, okay. but we're a plural. Right. Nice. I actually found an interesting little nugget on that. I don't know if Rabbi Shaft found anything. But, yeah, I noticed that as well. Yeah, Nancy. Um, I just find this phrase guarded him as the pupil of his eye mm-hmm. very, very interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. he would sort of expect it maybe to say guarded him with the pupil of his eye or right. like, what does that mean? Yeah. Wonderful. I saw a lot of commentaries that because obviously I'm, I'm reading, um, when, when looking at translation, it's obviously for me in English. Um, I saw a lot of the English translation saying apple of his eye, um, which is just so funny because it, it means a very different thing to us to say you're the apple of my eye than what I think, back to your kushia, they're getting at here as the pupil of God's eye is a very different, at least I think colloquially, um, a very different term than the apple of your eye uh, in the way that we use that phrase. So yes, we will. I know that Rav Shapiro found some good contact lens stuff on that. Um, and uh, and we'll get to that in just a second. We yeah, also Rav, just were eating apples dipped in honey. Um, that was a, that, that was an addition. Okay. Marlies, go ahead. <laughs> so I, yeah, I'm with similar uh, verses. 
Yeah. Um, like who is he talking about? Is that Moses? Okay. Great. So we, you know, right before Rashford, if you can just scroll up a verse just for a second. <clears throat> um, great. So we see here, right, the the name of Jacob brought up. Are we talking about Jacob as Jacob the character or Jacob in terms of we know that Jacob's name is also Israel? So are we talking about all of B'nai Israel? Are we talking about Moses? Because Moses is the one sharing this poem, right? Is it just that all of these different characters are kind of coming into play um, as a way of being like vessels or symbols for um, for the entire people? It's a great question. It was a question that I also asked myself a lot while I was reading through these commentaries, like how much of this poetry is trying to get us to put ourselves as the characters in this story and how much of this is us really just hearing about a specific character and their their relationship with God or their journey through uh, through this experience. So beautiful, beautiful question. And I think it comes up a little bit in some of the stuff that I found. So I think um, though there's not an exact answer to the question, I think you'll see a general um, a general understanding. Yeah, Renee. I think it's interesting the way that the adjectives or verbs that they use, howling, ingirding, watching, guarding, the order of them. Oh, great. Yeah. So why, why are they put in that? Um, why are they put in that order? Right. Yeah. I def- definitely didn't find anything on that, but maybe Rabbi Shapiro did. Um, nope, he did not. Okay. Hi, Bala. Uh, any other kushiot? Okay. Um, Rabbi Shapiro, do you, why don't you go first? Um, can I do my cool concordance thing? Yeah, you definitely can do your cool concordance thing. Um, I'm just going to be very transparent that Rabbi Shapiro did much more work for this class. Rabbi Shatz has really uh, been slacking this week. I, I mean, we really need to keep an eye on that Rabbi Shatz and wonder what she's been doing all week, why yeah. she's been so lazy, why she's just sort of been coasting on by without really putting anything out there. Yeah. Yep. That was really? what I was, that's what I was coming out to say. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, I'm gonna pass it over to you. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pop my my screen share back up because this only oh sorry really okay. makes sense if you can see it. So folks folks know I I I'm glad, I feel like you know in it you know like when when you get to a season finale in a show you know you got to have like all the threads like coming back together. I feel like I need to make sure to like bring everything back over our last two classes. So it's been a long time since I've done a cool concordance thing, uh, and I'm glad to get to do a cool concordance thing today. So. Some of these words, right, like we know this in Torah, that sometimes the Torah uses language in an associative way to hearken back to other passages or ideas or literary motifs that have appeared along the way. So so first of all, this isn't like a concordance thing per se, but the imagery of the eagle does hearken back um, to this idea back in Shemot when God talks about how we were, we were carried out of Egypt on eagle's wings, right? That sort of, there's a couple of other times in the Torah that we hear about an eagle, um, twice uh, in relationship to Kashrut and one other time um, in reference to how when we have an enemy, the enemy will swoop down us like an eagle. But in terms of this idea of eagle as protection, the only other time that that really comes up um, is when we we talk about being carried out of Egypt. So that's just an interesting sort of symbolic connection here. That's not even the cool part. That was just a nice literary illusion. So 
Uh, ooh, can we play like um, uh, let's play? Can we play literary bingo? Rabbi Shantz doesn't want to play no. literary biblical. I, as literary. soon as you say can we, I know the answer is no. You just so just we're going to play literary bingo. So here in verse ten, I'm highlighting the word for our friends at home. Our friends at home can play with us as well. Um, but by the time they email us both the duet and what they want our class to be on, they probably won't have, have enough room on their hard drive to also tell us what this uh, word is from. This word, uh, we see in the phrase, uvatohu yilal yishmon, translated as in an empty howling waste. Any, uh, uh, we're coming back around on it. Any, anything that this word tohu reminds folks of? Any, Oh, Rabbi Shatz, you can't buzz in. That's you said. You, first tohu. of all, you said you didn't want to play, so you disqualified. Tohu right? Tohu Paula. I think Denise. Had oh, she raised her hand up. Sorry, but Paula will will count it. It's anything goes. It's it's a it's a doggy dog world here in exploring the Parsha literary illusion, whatever this is. Okay, so good. So Vatohu Yishman, um, this idea hearkening back. Uh, the uh, tohu vavohu, that's sort of the primordial uh, chaos back in the time of creation. One, one more one. In the next verse, verse 11, Kinesher Yair Kino, Al Gozalav Yerachef, this idea that the eagle who's rousing his kin, gliding down to his young. Anything people remember about Yerachef? Yerachef. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Not in that form, though. Correct. Oh, Marlies. Marlies is buzzing in. Okay, this may be totally off, but it's reminded me of something in the Ashamnu. Oh, interesting. Well, that's not a verse, but... Uh, isn't there like ORF or something? Akshay uh, ORF, like uh, like being stiff-necked. So <laughs> so that sounds a little familiar, but no, the same root. Denise, I don't know if you still have your hand up or if you just never took it down. You're like leaning. On, Denise is leaning on the buzzer. Uh, oh, she put her hand down. <laughs> Renee. Should I tell you? Oh. Is it connected to your echel? No. No. Rabbi Schatz is, is going to come in and sweep the board. Rabbi Schatz. Merachefet al pnei hamayim. Meruach Elohim. Merachefet al pnei hamayim. So... The, this, that the, uh, that's from Brashi. We didn't correct. And not only that, here we go. We're gonna do it this. It also comes right after Toe of a Vogue. That's correct. exactly right, Denise. In the second <laughs> verse of the Torah, in that verse, that is the only other place in Torah that those two words or that verb appears. They each appear only one other place in the Torah, and it's in that verse, hearkening back to Breshit. So this imagery of God like an eagle uh, protecting us and gliding down upon us in the midst of a wasteland, two, ver- two words only appear one other time in the Torah, and they're both in the same verse. I think that's pretty cool. Rabbi Shas doesn't seem excited about it. No, at that all. is very cool. That's very cool. It only shows up both of it's those. True, words. Joanna would have known for sure. True. 
Yeah. But I just think it's really cool. Like it, it's clearly alluding back to the story of creation, um, which you can drosh in a couple of different ways. But I thought literarily and linguistically, that was pretty groovy. That is very cool. Good job. My cool. I was the, that was your cool concordance thing of the day. Alliteration. Very good. Right. Cool concordance. Um, cool. I need another C. Okay. Do you want to do another commentary? There's your other C. Cool concordance commentary of the day. Okay. Right before this class, I also had my first caffeine in 48 hours. So yeah. I'm fired up. It's Rabbi Schatz's fault. She wanted to. Um, okay. Um, Rabbi Shapiro? Yeah. Would you like to? I don't know why I just shared my screen. I mean, that was. I didn't either. I thought that meant you were going to do something. Those are my verses. I can, but I was actually going to offer you to. Should I talk about why the Torah says you shouldn't wear contact lenses? You know, sure. Okay. So I'll just preface this by saying whenever I go to the ophthalmologist, they always. <laughs> Paul, it's good to have you here, Paul. Uh, whenever I go to the ophthalmologist, they tell me, I mean, I have terrible vision. Uh, and they tell me I should get contact lenses and they'll make my vision much better. But I hate, I, I can't, I can, I can barely get eye drops in my eyes, but I, I definitely can't do the like finger in your eye. So all of that to say, this, this comment about how God guards us, um, like the pupil of his eye or the apple of his eye. So I, I found this comment from the Or Chaim, who's talking about how, um, God, how when Moses added this reference to the pupil of his eye, for him, that's connected to a verse out of Zechariah, um, of the prophets. He says, for anyone who harms the Jewish people, it is as if he has har- harmed the pupil of his own eye. And here's what the Orachim said. The prophet meant that an eye cannot tolerate being touched by the finger of a man. The reason is that where the eyeball is scrupulous, scrupulously clean, I have scrupulously clean eyeballs, Rabbi Shantz. When the eyeball is scrupulously clean, man's fingers are not. The eye symbolizes spirituality, and the finger symbolizes physicality. The former does not like to be touched by the latter. So the next time I go to my ophthalmologist and he says to me, Matt, you really should get contact lenses, I will tell him, that according to the Orachayim, if I did that, it would be like tainting my spirituality with my physicality, and I could never abide by such a thing. So therefore, I cannot have contact lenses. Will you that please actually, let us know what your ophthalmologist says when you tell him that? I absolutely will. Yeah, yeah I definitely will. Okay, I'm going to share something now. Is that okay? Rabbi Schatz, what, okay. what do you think about what do you think about that? I think that I wear contacts all the time, and I have no problem with them. Well, okay. I mean, think about how spiritually you're already so spiritually elevated, Rabbi Schatz. Think how <laughs> elevated you would be. Yeah. Okay. If you didn't dirty your scrupulously clean eyeballs with the dirt of your impure finger. Right. Yeah, right. As Nancy's pointing out, my uncle is a neuro-ophthalmologist, and I've been wearing contact lenses a lot of my life. Um, and the contact lens is what touches your eye, not your finger. If your finger is touching your eye, you're doing something real wrong and maybe not putting the contact on your finger. So we can talk about you and contact lenses another time. I'm going to kind of take us in a very different direction. Um, so the, I don't want to wear contact lenses. In case that that's works. fine. You have great glasses. Okay, so we are going to... Look at this verse, um, or this commentary, I should say. Uh, and 
I'm glad that the chat is all about contact lenses and putting plastic in your eye. Yes. Okay. We're doing everyone. I'll have my uncle join us one day and he can talk to us about how it's actually fine to put contact lenses in your eyes and everyone's going to be just great. So this is, um, this is Ibn Ezra, um, not a neuro-ophthalmologist, talking about the word imsa'ehu, which we see in the in verse 10. So it says here, it's actually the first word, imsa'ehu ba'eret midbar, right? So the, the word midbar, we often talk about as just kind of a, a vast place. It's not a location. When you're, when you're learning Torah for the first time, so, you know, when I was young and we were learning Torah in our day school, they would often say Midbar was desert because that's kind of the closest thing to what it is. But saying the word wilderness is actually much more um, apt for what Midbar is. It's just a very desolate place. Now, desert can be a very desolate place for sure. It also, you know, if you go go to Palm Springs, that's not a desolate place. That's a city. So for some people, when they think of desert, they do think of nothing there, just open space, but that also can be a forest or a wilderness. So Midbar is just an un, um, un, uh, I don't want to say cared for. It just isn't, it's not a place where people are living and it's not a place where things are happening. It's just a vast area. So the fact that this verse says, Yimsa ehu be'eretz midbar, is really, Eretz midbar is kind of, um, it's not really an oxymoron, but it is interesting that Eretz usually means established and midbar typically means not established, right? It just means kind of vast and open. So I was taken by that. And Ibn Ezra says here, the meaning of Yimsa ehu, God found him is that God's glory entered into the desert with them, entered into the Midbar with them. So it says here in the Hebrew, So it because in this Midbar place, God's kavod, um, God's honor, it's translated here as glory, came to be with them, really entered in with them. Furthermore, they were like a person wandering in the wilderness, a place where no person passes, as Torah tells us, the wilderness is a waste. So what I really enjoy about this particular commentary is that you can be found in places that are empty. Uh, and again, this is this is poetry. So I think there's there is something very fun about kind of understanding this on a shot level on a very basic. We're going to read the words and just like Every other verse of Torah, try to understand what the Torah is telling us. But then this also kind of begs Drashot, just like most most poetry does, that the fact that the that the author used the word found in a place where either it'd be easiest to find or hardest to find something, um, that those two words are being used next to one another, and that God is almost part of that experience, right? Entering in with them assumes that the finding is happening kind of side by side, as opposed to top down, um, which is how we might expect God to find us like in the Garden of Eden or whatever, you know, that God can see what's happening. This seems to me at least to be much more kind of on the same plane uh, in, in walking together on the land. Um, and then it says, right, in the next, I'll just bring us back to the verse here. It says, Uvetohu Yalel Yeshimon, sorry, Yesavavenhu Yevonen Yevonenehu. That's a really hard word to say. Um, 
And so we get this word here, yevonenehu, uh, is this idea of caring for, again, the, as Marlies brought up, right? Is it him being Moshe? Is it him being Jacob? Is it him just being, uh, just the people? And it says by giving him Torah. And the reason that I brought this particular verse in here is because we know that we also received Torah in the Midbar. Where we received Torah in a place that was desolate and vast and looking for opportunity of, of growth and meaning. So I thought these two pieces, both written by Ibn Ezra, but on different parts of the verse, I thought very nicely connected to one another in terms of being found, but also being found in such a way that there's also meaning and purpose behind the quote finding. So that's on this, on this particular piece. That's what I have. Rabbi Shapiro. Well, I'll hang on that verse for for one more. More, I have more on the next verse, although we're already clicking along. Um, but I found a, a lovely comment by Rashi that that sort of um, brings us into the next set of holidays. Rabbi Chess, did you know that we have more holidays coming up? How are you feeling about that? For people who are just listening, Rabbi Schatz is jumping up and down with joy because she's so excited about the next round of holidays we have coming up. I actually really love Sukkot. Um, I'm tired, but I really love Sukkot. Okay, keep going. Sukkot's great. Um, Rashi's comment on uh, Yusuf Avenhu in this yeah. in verse, verse 10, this idea of God surrounding him. So Rashi says, talking about being in the desert, that that God surrounded the people in the desert and encompassed them with the clouds of glory, like which is oftentimes um, referred to like connected to um, thinking about what happened um, over the course of Sukkot, that the Ananehakavod are like an understand uh, Josh Colt, who is taught in our community often, thanks to Rabbi Schatz. Um, oftentimes talks about the Anane Hakavod as something um, like one of the frameworks for what happens over Sukkot. Um, and then Rashi goes on to say, God surrounded them with banners on their four sides. So like the, the banners of the people and he surrounded them by the underside of the mountain, which he arced over them. So people might have heard the Midrash that we often struggle with, right? That God held the mountain over the people and said, do you accept the Torah? Right. And then only on Purim did we like accept the Torah without being threatened by it. But I just think that this comment by Rashi is an interesting, like one to punch in terms of thinking about how God surrounded the people that God surrounded them with Ananeha Kavod, referencing Sukkot, and also with the mountain, which of course, like thinking about Torah reminds me of Simchat Torah. So it's just interesting to see that. I don't know if Rashi, Rashi, I think Rashi probably knew the sequence of holidays and he probably knew. Uh, that Hazina was around this time of year. So it's not made explicit, but it seems implicitly to also be like looking ahead to the Chagim that we have coming up, at least. Well, and also the Mishkan, right? The idea of the tent of meat, right? Like all of those different places of kind of structural, um, I don't know, covering. Um, yeah, I saw a lot on the tent of meeting. I didn't bring any of it, but I saw a lot. Of it. Um, I forgive you. What is the Samech and the text about? It's a great question, Paula. Um, so the what Paula's referring to is that they're at the end of sentences, there's sometimes a Samech or a Pei. Um, and that was really m- 
mostly for how it was written down in a book that one, I forget what the words are, um, but one stands for kind of end and one stands for pticha, which is open. So the, I believe, are those the right words? I, I would imagine you right? Like, like, I don't think it's siyum. I think it's a different right, word. I mean, um, that is what it, that's what it, that, that's what it means. But, okay. What? You don't know. I, maybe it is siyum. I don't think it is. I, I think it's an Aramaic word. Anyway, um, but whatever. That's what those two things mean. That when they're written out, it means like the end of something and then the beginning of the next thing. So you'll oh. often see them at the end of something. Paula just wrote Sogare. Paula, did you just look that up for us? No? I went to Hebrew school. <laughs> Paula's schooling us. Oh, oh. It's a sign we really need to be wrapped. Like Pituach, so get it, right? Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I, yes, I just don't remember Maybe. what the what the exact... Um, Unless I spelled it wrong. <laughs> I'm going to look it up. It, I, I'll find it. Um, anyway. Okay. While Rabbi um, Schatz looks that up, I'll just oh. say very briefly, I saw... So Rabbi Schatz was referencing because... Who was somebody was asking about why we have it in the singular that God found him in the wilderness? Who that was it? Denise? Was it Renee? Somebody? It was Marlies. Mar- Marlies. No, she's shaking her head. Marlies was talking about it. Who are we talking about? Is it Moshe? Is it Jacob? Is it the people? So what's that singular? Like, is it singular because we're just talking about Moshe, or is it right? So I saw another comment um, from from Sifre from out of the Midrash that says it's actually referencing back to Avraham, that that it's like hearkening all the way back back in the day uh, when Avraham was was uh, wandering around aimlessly in Urkazdim, just sort of hanging out and smashing idols um, like you do. Um, so it's just interesting that, yes, you can maybe think about it as Moshe or Yaakov, but that, according to the Midrash, that, like, these verses might be referencing um, Avraham, which is a little bit different than anything else that, that I had found. Yeah. Um, and, and interesting. Also seems like a little bit of a stretch. I mean, hi, welcome to rabbinic Judaism. You know, right? yeah. Oh, okay. Um, oh, God to... found him in a desert region in an empty howling waste and girded him, watched over him guarded him as the pupil of his eye. You could, you could see that as Abraham. It's not crazy. I've seen way bigger stretches in Midrash. No. So the pay at the end of. Oh, um, she's just ignoring. She's not even responding to me anymore. This is, pay, this is how low we've gone. The pay is Petucha. So not Petucha. I was off by a letter. Um, which means to open. And then the Samech at the end is Stuma, which does mean to close, just not in, not in Hebrew. Um, so just like it would be the end of something, like the closing of something or the opening of something. So I was hoping, I was hoping Paula was right. I was rooting for Paula. And the Stuma also be like when you, people are sometimes in, in slang Hebrew referred as their Satum, they're like clogged up, you know, and like. I, yeah, I mean, it means end. So, yeah, I think like, you know, that's what people would always say. But that's what they meant when I was in Israel and they kept talking about me. I was wondering what that meant. saying you were Satum. I can't imagine anyone saying that. about you. Oh, that's so nice. OK. Um, <laughs> so I want to get here we go. OK. Um, Rabbi Shapiro, did you bring the Rashi on the Al Gozli Nirachef piece? 
Yeah, and I use it as a jumping off point for for a bunch of other stuff. So why don't why don't you why don't you toss it out there and I'll 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 get crazy with it. Okay, <laughs> sounds about right. All right, so here is um I I was really taken with this particular part of these verses. Um, I will, as I mentioned earlier, I did not do as much preparation as Rabbi Shapiro did, nor with as much time before class started, but. This particular piece, why, why do I not see it? Hold on. Ah, here it is. Okay. Um, so this particular piece in verse 11 says, Kenesher Yair Kino al Gozlav Yerachef. So what, how it's translated here is like an eagle who rouses his nestlings gliding down to his young. Um, so I would, I was really, taken not so much with the fact that eagle isn't used as often as Rabbi Shapiro kind of mentioned at the beginning of class um, though though it is quite interesting I just hadn't thought about it the I really enjoyed the imagery of a bird and it's young right because as we know in terms of nests right that often the bird is sitting atop or next to or very protective of um, its little birds and I, I was just really taken with the fact that that was the imagery that was being used here. And so I focused a lot on that. And I really like what Rashi says here. So he really, fo- Rashi really focuses on the word hovers. Um, and he says, it does not press, the, the eagle does not press heavily upon them, upon the, the little birds, but hovers above them, touching them and yet not touching them. So too, the Holy One, blessed be he, the Almighty, we did not find him, we did not find God to be too powerful in strength. When God came to give the Torah to Israel, God did not reveal God's self from one side, thus concentrating God's power at one point, but from four sides. As it is said, the Lord came from Sinai and shone forth from Seir unto them. God appeared from Mount Paran. God came from Teman, and this is the fourth side. So, the the four sides piece is it is lovely. It's not um, to me. It's not as compelling as just the idea that God did not come on too strong, right? That there was not a um, there was not a sense of force. There was not a sense of um, smothering of God to the people. And so too, like a bird and and her chicklings, um, chick, chick chicks chick. Okay, little birds. Um, that uh I chickling i had made it up it was a cute word i think i was thinking saplings and then i'm like translated that into an animal goslings okay. maybe goslings that's not what i meant but little birds i think that goslings are little birds i think that it's really compelling to think of god that way especially actually after yom kippur right where we think of god as this high and mighty and strong and powerful. Um, the Rabbi Shapiro gave a really beautiful kavanah at Hamal yesterday that would, um, that would made us, make us think otherwise about these things. But the idea that, that, that it feels heavy, right? It's not a word that we necessarily use for God, but God feels heavy in those moments of Yom Kippur. And this to me feels very light and freeing and yet really parental and caring and loving in a way that I would love to think about my relationship with God as hovering and not smothering. Um, and it also allows 
the little birds to move about as they need to, to get what they need to do. And yet there's still protection and there's still um, guidance and, and love being shown. So I, I just found this to be a very sweet and compelling commentary on that. Rabbi Shant, you're so Hasidic because the Hasidic Rebbe's also really loved this. You, I, my influence on you is just terrible. Um, but a lot of the Hasidic Rebbe's talk about it. So that, that phrase, um, that Rashi uses that it looks like he pulls out of, out of the Yerushalmi, out of the Jerusalem Talmud, this idea of nogea, no nogea, like mm-hmm. touching, but, but not touching. Um, that like one, like I'm thinking about it, like just like one, like teeny, t- sort of like, uh, like Michelangelo sort of a situation, right? Or E.T. Or both, right? Yeah. Right? Um, like, like just touching like one tiny point um, is an idea that, that a lot of the Hasidic Rebbe's like really use as an opportunity for thinking about not just in terms of the imagery and the eagle and how that applies to our relationship with God, but as they often talk about, um, what does that say about like our, our spiritual life? Like when we think about what it is to have a point of connection with God, um, this is some, some imagery that, that they really talk about a lot. I found a, f- a few different pieces on this, although I found one piece that is uh, a little more liturgical and halachic, which, as, as we know, is, is much more Rabbi Schatz's speed. So maybe we'll do that one. Sure. We do that one? I'm going to do another one first. We can do that one later. Does that sound good? Okay. okay. It, it all sounds great. Okay, good. Um, so Reb Nachman talks about this kind of in, in two different ways about people who don't understand this, right? As like the touching, but, but not touching. So the first example is a person who is like an Oved Hashem, like a person who serves God might say to himself, I am so far from God that my prayer, my good deeds and my learning were not accepted by God. But God forbid that anyone should say that about themselves. God listens with compassion to the prayers of the people who are near to him, right? So on the one hand, you might have a person who, even though they're really doing the deal, right? Even though they are relatively pious, they daven, they study, they go to shawl, or like they're just living a good life, but that person still might might sort of be overly humble and think, oh, there's no way I can be so close to God. That person is wrong, right? That person should remember that there is still that that point of contact with the divine. And then on the other hand, there might be another person who says, I have arrived. I understand the greatness of God, right? I'm, I'm like super duper extra connected, but woe be to the person who says this as well. Because in the Psalms, it says God is great and highly praised and there is no attaining that greatness. And, that, and this is an interesting sort of paradoxical statement. The higher the level on which you serve God, the more you come to know how that greatness can never be reached. Sort of a nice like paradoxical kind of statement there, right? That, that you sort of putting those two pieces together, you shouldn't think there's no way I can really connect with God because of course you can have that, that point of contact. And at the same time, you shouldn't think, I am like so connected to God all the time, absolutely, that there's an arrogance to that, 
right? That there's an arrogance to thinking you can really get there. And there's a certain, there's, there's a whole host of levels that we, we as people can never really get to. Um, and if you're really reflecting and thinking about it, you know that you can never really get there. And that recognition is part of what helps you, right? Like make, make a point of contact, right? Like, I, and I think about that for myself in terms of a spirit, right? Like, I had moments yesterday. Hamala was lovely. Hamala, I felt actually pretty connected. Hamala was really lovely, right? I'm going to have like those moments of connection and then I'll fall out of it. And then I'll sort of be back in it, right? That it's possible to have those moments of connection and then to fall away from it and then to be back. But I shouldn't either think to myself, yes, I've got it fully all the way there. Nor should I think to myself, can't ever get there. It's, it's too far away. It's impossible. So I think that, that, that phrase that uh, Reb Nachman pulls out of, pulls out of Rashi um, offers like a nice way of, of thinking about it. I don't know what other people think about that. I have, I have more on it, but I'll, I'll pause there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm at least nodding a bit while I was talking. Karen, about it. I agree with you. About it. Yeah. You're doing great, Karen. You're almost there. Here, does that help? No. There you go. Hi, Karen. Hi. Hi. I was thinking that the whole time I was there. Uh, I'm not in connection. Please forgive me for not being in connection. (gasps) I'm connected for this one moment. And then when uh, Anhama Olot, about the door, that, uh, and my mother was on the other side, gone 31 years ago. And I started to cry, and I said, yay, thanks, Mom. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Adam, you know, Rabbi. This was what I was waiting for, a moment of true. And I was needing momminess. I still mm-hmm. get it today, too. But um, that was an amazing moment, and I said, thank you. That's okay. I'm done this. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm done. <laughs> I think that connects also really beautifully to how Rabbi Schatz was just talking about that imagery in general. Absolutely. Right? Like the, the eagle, like hovering Absolutely. over, Absolutely. offering protection. Which is parenting. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that you're sharing something that, um, especially as clergy, we talked a lot about in going into the high holidays. Like there, there is so much, there's been so much, um, <clears throat> I guess overwhelming, I was going to say burnout, but it's not, we're not really burnt out. It's just an overwhelming feeling of how to be spiritually connected this year. Um, that it was almost hard to imagine how we were going to do that again on the high holidays. Right. And Rabbi Clayfield and I actually had a really long conversation about writing sermons for this high holiday season, because on the one hand, I've said something for every Shabbat for 18 months to the majority of our community, just in the way that it, that it worked out for kind of who was the clergy where. And when he, (laughs) and when, when he was reflecting on that, he said, and I've had the opposite experience. I have so much to say because I was typically with like a B'nai Mitzvah family or whatever, where I wasn't giving that formal sermon every single week. And it just this year has been a lot of those moments that you're pointing out, Karen, of like the um, the push and the pull of I want to feel spiritually connected. I know I should feel spiritually connected. 
I'm meant to feel spiritually connected and either I don't or wow, I'm so surprised that I do in this particular way. And I think that's that if if there were a sermon in me on that topic, I would have given it because I think that actually was the the main the main feeling that everybody was having this high holiday season season in general. And I think that when people came up to us at the end of services and said, that was a spiritually uplifting experience for me. It was like that, that's all I needed, right? I I don't care what you thought of my sermon. I don't care what you thought of the songs we sang. I don't care about any, I mean, I somewhat care, but I, I don't care as much as I care about whether or not you felt like you could spiritually tap into any moment. Um, And so that has nothing to do with our verses. I just wanted to point out that I think you, you are expressing something that I think so much of our attention went into for these all over the world, not just Temple Beth Am, went into for these high holidays because spiritual connection has been the one thing that we've really um, struggled with over the past 18 months. One more thing. Yeah. Also being a Gabi. Yeah. And things changing and doing and being yeah. whacked me out. Yeah. And so I'm having a personal struggle about doing that. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. But, yeah. 100%. So thanks for all the spiritual connection. You too, Rabbi Shapiro. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Nancy. So I've been thinking a lot about that too, because yesterday was very different for me. You know, I've, I've, I've struggled with this grieving process on Zoom and from far away for the last, you know, year and several months. Yeah. Um, and yesterday for the first time, and I, and I participated in Yisker, you know, on Zoom and whatever, but yesterday was the first time that I really felt because I was there in person that um, that I truly begun the process. Mm. Like it really, um, I had a very deep reaction mm. and um, but to me, that was very positive. Mm-hmm. Right? Cause I've been feeling that this not having those reactions being kind of numb, whatever have been mm-hmm. so the opposite. And so being able to come in person and yes, the whole day was very spiritual and, and wonderful. Um, it really made a difference. I shared with Rabbi Shapiro, and then he can take us back to our verses for a second. But I shared with Rabbi Shapiro that um, that Yisker for me yesterday was, I've done a lot of Yiskers, and, and especially this year, actually, I did a lot of Yiskers for exactly the same reason that I spoke a lot during the year. Um, and uh, it was a really emotional yisker for me uh, because I looked out into that sea of people and there were lots of people for whom I had done funerals this past year. Um, two of you are on the screen right now, right? And I think that that, um, it really hit me in a different way that that though once in a while those funerals will happen and once in a while I will be the clergy person or Rabbi Klico will be the clergy person doing them. This year, for some reason, I think exactly to what you're speaking to, Nancy, coming back and being in person and seeing all those 
faces of people who have gone through this throughout the past year in person, not behind a screen um, or individually at, you know, at a funeral with just your family was really touching uh, in, in a way that it felt like though we were really blessed throughout this pandemic to not have as much loss as other communities, it felt like a, a real year of deep loss um, to me personally and having all those people in uh, in our community yesterday. So that was, it was a mutual feeling felt. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that it was meaningful to you. Renee, and then Rabbi Shapiro will take us back to eagles and nests. Okay, totally unrelated as well. But I just right. wanted to share that, you know, I've really enjoyed being able to be a part of all of your services every Shabbat um, because we've been able to do it on YouTube. And yeah. it's easier for us to get to. But for the high holidays this year, particularly for Yom Kippur, it was really hard. Yeah. It was really hard saying Yisker with, you know, just being in the living room and not being yeah. in the shul. And, yeah. you know, my kids went for a short time to the services, but I wasn't able to go with them because I can't wear the mask now. And it was just a very odd very, very odd Yom Kippur. Mm. And, and I mean, the davening was superlative. I, I have no words for the job that you guys did. It was just awesome. It was just lovely. And for me, it was just very odd. And I hope as Rata Shem that next year will be different for everyone and that we can all get back to being in shul the way we're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's up. Unrelated to Parsha, but no, 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 but very, but very related. And part of this class is also hearing where people are at. So um, I'm sorry that it, it was a challenging experience. And we know that, I mean, part of the emotional energy that went into crafting high holiday services was that we knew that not everybody was going to have the experience that we want everybody to have. Um, and that's where a lot of like the gut wrenching emotional how do we make these decisions energy came out in frustration and sadness and, and some joy. And um, so I, I, we hear you and I feel you. And, uh, and I, I agree that next year, next year, we hope we, we all get to be together. And that. I hope you guys get to have some kind of a break. I know you can't all have a break at the same time, but I really feel like you guys <sighs> need a break after Sukkot, you know, just put God on hold for, for Monday through Friday. <laughs> For all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Rabbi Shapiro, would you like to tie us into a nice little bow? I'll do my best. First thing I'll say is if you thought the davening was good this year, just wait till Rabbi Shots and I have a duet next year. That's really going to like elevate it. Look at look at the headache I'm giving Rabbi Shots. It's <laughs> fantastic. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Be great. Um, the, I, I'll just say again before we wrap up, we're doing this in person next week for the, it seemed like also a segue worth mentioning for people who can come um, up on the roof of the school building. Karen looks very excited. Uh, there will be a zoom bot there. I got to say zoom bot again. So we will still be able to stream it for the folks who can't or are unable to be there. or don't feel safe, but for the people who feel safe coming 11 o'clock on the roof of the school building, maybe we'll get like a special guest star. Can we get a special guest star? Sure. We're not going to get a special guest star. I mean, like maybe. the Torah? Like, what do you mean? Like, Ooh, what I... Torah, special guest star. Um, but it's going to be fun. Um, 
And so if people can make it there, that'd be great. I guess what I'll, I'll like try to tie it back into is because we were talking about like spiritual experience and the, ch- the unique challenges and also the unique opportunities that this moment holds. Like Renee, to your point, like you, you've been able to stay connected even when you can't come in person and there are real challenges to not being able to come in person, right? Like it's, it's very mo- much both of those. And I think going back to that image from Rashi of touching, but not touching, um, and that Reb Nachman sort of riffs on this idea that I think over these past 18 months, we have really felt how tenuous um, our spiritual connection and our connection to community can be. Mm-hmm. And also when we're able to sort of let go of expectations and just be in the moment that it does also hold um, the opportunity for us to be connected sometimes in expected and, and just as often in really unexpected ways. Um, and I think that that's, that's one of the challenges of living a religious life and of living a spiritual life is, is saying, I don't know if this ritual or this moment will hold the connection that I hope it will. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. And also remaining open to unexpected moments of connection and, and sort of being able to walk through that um, and, and hold that uncertainty and, and what challenges that, that brings and also what opportunities that brings. Um, so hopefully as we continue to have more and more and more Chagim, hooray, with some Shabbatot along the way, hooray, um, that we will remain open uh, to those moments and uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, find those moments of connection along the way. That's the bow. That's the bow that I got for today. Beautiful. Good job. Shabbat shalom, folks. Shabbat shalom, everyone. We look forward to seeing you next week. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to tell you what comes next. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.